Good morning, church. It's good to be with you all today. A welcome to those of you that are in the building and those of us that are with us online today. We welcome you as well. It's good to worship together as the body of Christ. We have a new memory verse for this month. It is from the book of Philippians. We'll conclude our series on seven habits today. We'll have a week uh, where we have Pastor Jim to be here to share with us. And then uh, starting the following week, we'll begin a new series in the book of Philippians. So let's go ahead and prepare our hearts uh, for that series by sharing in this verse together today. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1, 21. Very good. As I alluded, we're concluding our series on the seven habits of a healthy Christian community today. And uh, today we're focusing on the trellis branch that we call or define as global or global ministries here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. As we've worked through uh, this series together, we've done it so with a number of considerations. We uh, have looked at uh, sorry, we have looked at each of these habits uh, as a guide to the focus of our ministries at CNBC. Uh, we've said that each of these habits were important to uh, the early church leaders, and they were exemplified by Jesus himself while he was ministering on earth. We also have said that each of these habits were prioritized and practiced in the early churches as they were formed in their communities. We believe that each of these habits is healthy for every Christian community throughout the world. And we also recognize that Christian churches and faith communities all over the globe will apply and practice some of these habits differently within their own specific context. And as we alluded to today, we're turning our attention to the Great Commission. Jesus' call to make disciples of all nations. And you know, as we look at applying some of these different habits that we've been talking about, the reality is that sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we get stuck. I don't know about you, uh, but sometimes I need a swift kick in my pants. Any of you need a swift kick in the pants? Sometimes a reminder, a vision to help us stir our imaginations towards something greater than just what's here and now. Something that is going to help to get us off of operating out of autopilot. A word that will move us beyond the status quo. The reality is, from time to time, all of us need a good pregame speech. Everybody know what a pregame speech is? When, when I was growing up, well, one of the, the activities I was involved in was football. And with the sport of football, necessarily, it seemed like as a young boy, you had a coach and your coach before your game on Friday night, which was often when we played, he gave a pregame speech. Now, I had a conversation with my oldest son today as I was taking him to work. Uh, and I said to him, uh, is the pregame speech something that is kind of a thing of the past? Because we don't really do them anymore. And I was kind of wondering why. We don't. He said, yeah, daddy's like, we don't really get fired up by those things anymore. Now, I, I don't know. That's a change for me. When I was young, uh, for some reason, some old man getting up in front of me and ranting and raving for five minutes got me fired up. I was ready after that speech to go run through a brick wall for that guy. It doesn't seem to work that way anymore. But you know, when Jesus rose from the dead, 
before he ascended into heaven, he left his disciples with a pretty incredibly powerful pre-game speech. There's some questions that we want to explore together as we look into our text. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. It's a text we all know very well, the Great Commission, verses 16 to 20 today. And the two questions that we want to explore as we approach this text is, what was the charge that Jesus left to his disciples that he would mightily use to establish and expand his church into every corner of the earth? And then, how did Jesus motivate and inspire his disciples through their doubts and fears to carry out and carry on this great commission? As we approach God's word today and seek to explore these questions together, uh, let's start with a moment of prayer. Father, thank you uh, for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you that it's living Active, thank you that in some supernatural, miraculous way that your spirit is working even now. And uh, we trust and, and walk by faith that your spirit will apply to each and every one of us exactly what you have determined so that we may take from your word and that he might use it to help us grow uh, in our love for you and in our love for one another. You have left us with a commission, Father, and, and it seems like... Uh, in today's world, a monumental task. Uh, it, it's one that seems nearly impossible, but it's a commission that you haven't left us without a promise that goes with it. And that promise that you are with us. So we're thankful for that. Father, as we turn to your words today to learn from them, we pray that you would uh, help us take them and apply them in our lives. That we might see this commission as something that is relevant and useful for us today. That we might be motivated by the commission that your son gave to his disciples and that we might use it in our relationships and see you work in a way that would draw others into a relationship with you. Help us to be thankful. Help us to be faithful and obedient to what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. <clears throat> so the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came up and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now it's towards the end of Matthew's gospel that we are left with a rather difficult scenario. In his gospel, Matthew has presented Jesus as both the messianic king and the savior. And in chapter 27, which is the second to last chapter of his gospel, the Savior and King is tied up, he's led away, and he's handed over to a man whose name is Pilate. One of Jesus' closest disciples, whose name is Judas, has betrayed him. And it appears as if everything the Savior and King had worked for while on earth, that it's falling apart. Right before our very eyes. 
As Jesus takes his stand before this man named Pilate, Pilate asks Jesus if he is indeed the king of the Jews. The chief priests and the elders who have gathered around, they continue to hurl their, their assaults at Jesus, but Jesus refuses to answer their accusations. The sheep before his executioners remains silent. He responds to Pilate's questions with the words, you say that it is so. And when the customary time arrives for one of the prisoners to be set free, the very people that the Savior and King had come to save, seek, and serve, choose a criminal named Barabbas to be set free instead of Jesus. Jesus is then condemned to death. He's mocked. He's beaten and ultimately crucified. Around 3 p.m., Jesus cries out from the cross to his father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Shortly after that, he takes his last breath. He gives up his spirit. His body's removed from the cross. He's buried in a new tomb that had been cut into a rock. The stone is rolled in front of the tomb and guards are placed at the entrance to the tomb. A gospel account that had began with so much promise. The introduction of a life full of power and anticipation Coming to an end with what appears as that very same life being snuffed out by a self-righteous, pride-filled group of indignant public and religious leaders. Aren't you thankful chapter 27 isn't the last chapter of Matthew? Amen? Amen. If, Ma if 27 was the last chapter of Matthew's gospel... Uh, perhaps Matthew's writings would not be considered very good news at all. But it's chapter 28 that quite literally makes Matthew's gospel good news. And as we turn the page into chapter 28, we find the dawning of a new week. The dawning of a new reality. This new week has brought with it fresh and a life-giving fullness where sin and death have now been defeated, dealt their fatal blow by the resurrection of Jesus. It's an account that we all know very well. We celebrate it every Easter and often in between. In Matthew 28, Jesus has risen from the dead. And as we work through the narrative account in chapter 28, we find that the empty tomb is now the problem of the ones who were employed to keep watch over it. And there's a contrast that begins to emerge here between the commission that the religious leaders would give to the guards of Jesus' tomb and the commission that Jesus would give to his disciples. Look at what happens. Jump back in chapter 28 to verse 11. This is very intriguing. Look at what happens with those who had been given the mission to guard the tomb. This is starting in verse 11 
of chapter 28. And I'm just going to read down through verse 15. While they were going, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priest everything that had happened. After they had assembled with the elders and formed a plan, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came at night and stole his body while we were asleep. That's the news that they were commissioned to give to the people. If this matter is heard before the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story is told among the Jews to this day. Isn't it fitting? Consider the audience here and the people that are formulating this plan. Isn't it fitting that following the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that the chief priests and religious leaders were left with encouraging the perpetuation of a hopeless and lifeless message? One that would leave the world dead in their trespasses and sins because sin and death in their minds had not yet been dealt with finally by Jesus and his resurrection. Their commission to the guards would be funded by bribery and based on a lie. Now contrast this commission with the very next commission that comes in chapter 28. It's our primary text for today. And I think that we find that the two messages could not be any more different. Shortly following his resurrection, we find in the text that Jesus elects to take his 11 closest remaining disciples to a mountain region in Galilee. And this is amazing because Galilee was the very place that Jesus' earthly ministry began. It was the very place that his earthly ministry would come to an end. Verse 17 describes his remaining disciples as worshipful, yet they're also hesitant or doubting. There's a feeling or an air about them of indecision. What are we to do, Jesus? Celebration and worship. Jesus is risen from the dead. But indecision and doubt. What's next? What's next? We all know from the context before the Great Commission and in the beginning of the book of Acts that many of Jesus' remaining disciples were fear-filled. They were anxious. And there's beauty in all of this, is there not? Here it is. The beauty is this. Jesus takes 11 worshipful yet doubting and fear-filled disciples and he gives them a charge to reproduce themselves everywhere they go. And the testimony of Jesus' remaining disciples reminds us that Jesus doesn't require perfect people who are fearless and full of certainty and ambition. Not who he requires. 
He doesn't need us perfect in order to use us. He likes us ready and willing, but he doesn't even need that. He can make us ready and make us willing. Some of you have talked to me about the two-by-four approach. I get that one sometimes. Whack! Get ready. He chooses to use us as we are. And in the process of using us, as he does it from the inside, he changes us and conforms us into his image. Sometimes, friends, we operate in this mode like we need to do more to be ready or we need to prepare ourselves to be used of God. When in the Great Commission, what we find is we find Jesus taking a group of disciples, people who had just recently abandoned, denied, and doubted him. And he's using those people to begin a global movement that would change the world. That's the power of God at work in his disciples. He's doing it still today. Perhaps the question we might ask today is, how might God desire to use us right now as we currently are to accomplish his purposes in the world right now? And how might God change us and change others in the process of our being faithful and obedient to fulfill and live out the commissions and the commands that he has given us. After taking his disciples up on the mountain in this region of Galilee, I almost said galaxy, in the region of Galilee, the next thing that Jesus says is going to establish the authority and the scope of the charge that he was giving to them. In verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Matthew's gospel, perhaps more than any of the others, has highlighted the authority of Jesus. And there's some references in your note guide that you could look into this week to see other places where Matthew has highlighted the authority of Jesus. And if all authority has been given to Jesus, then the commission that he would give would demonstrate the full measure of his authority in and through all the world. And once again, this is the beauty of God, restoring all things. There's a hint of this restoration. We see it in the Great Commission. That which was once lost in Eden, once again, in a small way, is discovering new life, finding redemption and restoration in the Great Commission. Genesis 1.28, also again in 9.1, God blessed them. He said it to the, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He said it to Noah's family after they came off the ark following the flood. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And now again, in Jesus' great commission, do you hear sounds that are eerily similar to be fruitful and multiply? Isn't it beautiful? The harmony and the unity of God's word. 
Go and make disciples of all nations. And in it all, church, we are moving closer to a day and an age where the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen? Man, I look forward to that day. So here are Jesus' words again. Starting in verses 19 and 20. This is his pregame speech. Get ready, disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The scope of Jesus' authority and his commission is to reach into every nation, language, and people group. The methods of disciple-making are specific, and they involve the intentional actions of going and baptizing and teaching. Friends, to go. Disciple-makers are intentional and purposeful in their engagement with those who do not yet know God through Jesus. There's this throughout the Gospels, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you read all four, especially in the synoptics as well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will find this come and see approach. And friends, it's the same kind of approach and invitation that we can use with people who do not yet know Jesus in our lives today. Come and see. Come and see what real, full life looks like. Come and see what real peace in this world can be. There can be real peace today through Jesus. Amen? There is joy that's overflowing, that's available. Are you sad? Are you downcast? Is there something hard going on in your life right now? Come and see. I know of a place and a person that can give us hope. His name is Jesus. Come and see. We have to go. We have to be involved in people's lives who do not yet know him. To be able to invite them to come and see the wonderful person. The wonderfully good person that he is. And friends, they're going to want to see in our going, they're going to want to see that we are living, that we, his disciples, are living like we believe it to be so. That we are living like Jesus' ways are better. They are richer, more fuller, more hope-filled and life-giving than the ways of this world. There's a process in going, a process of multiplication or duplication. Go, make disciples. And then baptizing. It wasn't just enough to go and to see a conversion. That's not how the book of Acts worked. This, one of the cool things about the book of Acts is we get to see the disciples actually doing this. Jesus gives the Great Commission. It comes at the end of the Gospels. The book of Acts, here's how the disciples did what Jesus told them to do. Isn't that cool? That's how the Bible works. And, and it's awesome. Because what you find in the book of Acts is it's not just about converting. In almost every instance in the book of Acts, when somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, 
what's the very next thing that you read about? They're baptized. Because you see, it was about walking with someone into a relationship with God through Jesus. One that would ultimately lead to a willingness to fully identify with Jesus in his death, burial and resurrection. Also becoming a disciple who would go and do likewise. And this is what baptism is. We submit to and identify with God's ways as revealed in Jesus and his word. This is different than John the Baptist's baptism. John's baptism was to prepare the Israelites for the person and work of Jesus. The baptism that Jesus is calling his disciples to perform is universal. It's offered to all who believe and rest on the finished work of Jesus. As the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit are all involved in the salvation of an individual... So too are they now part and parcel of the identity of all of the true disciples that are made in his name. In salvation, the father calls, the son saves, the spirit indwells. After salvation, the father guides, the son mediates and intercedes, and the spirit indwells and focuses and fuels us for ministry. Notice this too, with this, this uh, phrase of baptism, all disciples are invited to baptize. I find that interesting with the Great Commission. Have you ever wondered about that? Jesus is giving this commission to all of his remaining closest disciples, the 11, but it applies to us still today. And he tells them to baptize. Typically, baptism is reserved in the church for pastors to do. But in Jesus's mind, anyone who was a disciple would be involved in the ministry of baptism. Jesus had a far greater vision. All disciples participating. All disciples engaged in baptizing, teaching, taking part in helping reproduce themselves, making more disciples. Friends, one of the ways that we try to practice this with baptism here at Calvary Monument is, you may have noticed in the last few years, we've begin, uh, we began to invite family uh, into the baptismal font to help us with the baptism uh, of children. And it's just one tangible way that we can show that we are all involved in this process of making disciples, going, baptizing, and teaching. Teaching's the final component. We're to go, we're to baptize, we're to teach. What are we to teach? Jesus says, teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. But this implies that as Jesus' disciples, that we ourselves are understanding, comprehending, and applying that which Jesus taught. If we ourselves are not obedient, how can we possibly call other people to obey? It takes into consideration the full counsel of Jesus' teaching and preaching ministry while he was on earth. So if we were to sum up the teaching of Jesus, if we're to teach people what Jesus taught, what did Jesus teach? Our question, right? Well, that's it, Helen, thank you. One of the big ones. Love one another. 
It's one of the big ones. I, I summed it up in, in four primary themes of Jesus' teaching. Jesus comes, one of the things that he teaches that we see in all the Gospels is that repentance and belief are commanded. Repentance and belief. It's in every Gospel. Repent and believe. Part and parcel of Jesus' teaching is to repent, to turn from our sins, and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But then over and over again, he says the two greatest commands are love God and love one another. That's two and three. So repent and believe, love God, love one another, and then finally, go and make disciples who will do likewise. If we want to sum up the commands of Jesus in the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, perhaps that may be the shortest way that we could do it. Repent and believe, love God, love others, go and make disciples who will do the same. There's a better way. You know, it, it intrigues me as we look across our political landscape today in our world, in our country specifically, it intrigues me how I see the ways of the world and the world's ways all over those systems. Power, pride, platform, prestige. See, I'm a good pastor. Four, four Ps. Not the ways of Jesus. This was Jesus' moment. He had just risen from the dead. And was physically, visibly standing before his disciples. If there was ever a time a man could have started a political movement based on the power of God, infused with the power of God, that would have been physically visible here on this earth, that was the time. Jesus' ways are not the world's ways. And, and this way of thinking that I so often see, in, whether it's in our news outlets or in our social media, Wherever it is, power, pride, platform, prestige, not the way. Not the way. Not the way that Jesus chose. Not the way he called his disciples to. There's something far greater. But we have to have faith to believe it. It's not easy to walk according to Jesus' ways in the world today. There are so many things that are going to want to pull us right or left. But the essence of discipleship is faithfulness, it's obedience, and it's sacrificial service, all done and grounded in love. And if this seems like a monumental task that's going to cost us everything and require a commitment of life-ordering proportion, it is. It's hard. Many of you here and watching online, many of you know that this is hard work. 
many of us have been through some really difficult stuff in regards to discipleship and making disciples. Some of us have faced rejection. Some of us have lost people close to us that did not know the Lord. People who we loved, who we poured into. Many of us have walked through turmoil at work, in school. It's hard. But it is not a task without a significant and motivating promise. Jesus doesn't just take this great commission, drop it on his disciples and say, go do it. It's not what he does. It's not how he works. At the end of Jesus' victory speech, this great commission that he's delivering to his disciples, he gives a promise, a powerful, powerful promise that should be so motivating and hope-filling for all of us. Verse 20. And remember that as you go and as you are baptizing and as you are teaching and as you are making disciples of all nations, remember this. What? I am with you always to the end of the age. This is a commission. It's too magnanimous to accomplish alone. We can't do it by ourselves. Jesus didn't design this commission to be performed and completed in isolation. He calls us together into communities of disciples to carry on and carry out the ministry that remains here on earth. And today, friends, there are still people near and far who need to hear the hope and the truth of the gospel. There are people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, right next door. There are people in our surrounding nations who need to hear and see the light of gospel living, shining. The light and life of Jesus living before them. Modern day disciples living as if we believe what Jesus said and how he lived is for us today. Are any of us feeling a bit afraid about that? Sometimes. Maybe in the landscape of our culture today, we're feeling a bit discouraged. I know many of you have been. Sometimes hesitant. Are God's ways really better? Do Jesus' ways really work when the world seems so turned? Maybe we're doubting. His disciples were doubting the effectiveness of living and sharing the message and the hope of the gospel today. Friends, verse 20 reminds us in the veracity of the reality that Jesus has been with us ever since. Reminds us that we do not do this work alone. Amen? We are not alone. He is with us. He's with us And indwelling us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And not only do we have the Holy Spirit, which is more than enough, but we have this testimony of all of these witnesses who have gone before us and have faithfully taken the gospel 
to the places that God has called them. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Not just at Christmas. He is at Christmas too. But today, right now, right now, in these pews, and as we leave this building, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And this term that he has at the end, this, this phrase that we read, end of the age, I will be with you till the end of the age. The, the literal way that word is heard in the Greek is, I will be with you the whole of every day. In everything, he is with us. When we rise, when we go to work, as we're parenting our children. Boy, I need the Lord with me when I'm doing that. <laughs> That's hard. That get beat up. <laughs> He's with us. We don't do it alone. We go to school. We're not alone. Jesus is with us. We have that really difficult conversation that we've been putting off and putting off and putting off. There's that really difficult relationship that we need to repair and we just don't have the strength to do it. Guess what? Jesus is with us. He's faithful to go before us. He'll help bring healing. He'll do the work. We're the vessels. We have to live as if we truly, truly, truly believe it. And that's hard. And it'll be countercultural. But he is with us every moment in the whole of every day. See, friends, the Great Commission is for all disciples of Jesus. It's a call to make disciples both near here in our communities and far. With intentionality and purpose, it's a call for today, tomorrow and onward it's a call to make the beauty of Jesus visible to our neighbors and the nations. In the past seven, eight, nine weeks, and I think it's been longer because we've had a few breaks, we've been going through this series together. And, and today, as we conclude our series, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to the series. And so you'll see today, if you picked up a weekly as you came in, or if you're online, you can find a link uh, in the bottom of the, the YouTube channel, you'll see there's these white sheets that our staff does a great job of creating every week. These little white sheets. And as we pray and, and I invite the team to come forward, what I would ask you to do uh, this week, and maybe even today, and you can turn it in when you leave, prayerfully consider. Uh, may, maybe you're here today and, and you're already plugged in on three or four of these branches, and you're rolling. You're moving along, and you're saying, you know what, the Lord, he's been using me. I, I've been invested in prayer ministries here at the church, and I really feel good about my commitment and involvement there. I want to keep plugging away. Or I, I'm involved in a lot of the study and discipleship ministries. I'm helping with the youth, or I'm helping with Awana, and I just want to keep plugging away there. But maybe over the course of the last seven, eight, nine weeks that we've been going through this series, you've been thinking, hey, I'd like to get more plugged in. I'd like to be serving on one of these branches a little bit more. I feel maybe a little underutilized as a part of the faith community here at Calvary Monument Bible Church. And, and I'd like an opportunity to plug in and get more involved. Well, today is your lucky day. 
is you get to respond to the last seven, eight weeks that we've had together. You'll see there's a little box there. There's a paragraph above it. And uh, if you would like any more information on how CNBC is doing ministry on any one of the seven branches as we've gone over them together the last number of weeks, uh, this is your opportunity to respond, to put your name down. Make sure you give us your info because if you just check a box and there's no name, we can't, we can't really help you out or plug you in with the group. But if you give us your name and you check a box or two or things that maybe you'd like to get more plugged in with, we can actually connect you uh, with the right person here at CNBC where you could step in and perhaps get involved a little bit more in a specific area, one that maybe the Lord is prompting your heart or calling you to engage a bit more in. So I, I ask and pray that you would consider filling this out. You can turn it in today, or if you want to take a week and pray about it, put it in your Bible, go home, take a week, pray about it, come back next week, fold it up, drop it in the box in the back next week, and let us know uh, how you would like to connect a little bit more deeply here at CNBC. Before our team leads us in the final song, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this commission that you left us with. You are great, and you have given us a commission that reaches into every nook and cranny of this world. And Father, you haven't just left it with us and abandoned us, but you promised us that you would be with us in every step of the way. And it is hard. We acknowledge that before you today, that it is hard, but you are good. And this commission that you've given us is good. And you are faithful. And so, Father... I pray that you would motivate within us the obedience, the courage, the strength, the faithfulness, the sacrificial love and humility that it's going to require for us to walk according to the ways that you have called us to. Help us to be the salt and the light that you have called us to be. Help us to take this message, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and carry it as a light into our communities, into the relationships that you draw into our pathways each and every day. And God, we pray that in some small measure that you'll use us to accomplish your plans and purposes in this world and that people might come to know Jesus because of some interaction that they had with us or some word that we spoke to them or some act that we performed or some need that we met in their life that you might work through that in some significant way to draw others to you. We know that you're powerful to do that. You are the God of salvation. Salvation belongs to you, and we love you for that and are so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.